Hey, welcome. This is Joseph Body Presents. Hey, thank you all for listening today. Um, we have an exciting show. I want to, first of all, do a shout out to the military people as well as the first responders and all the medical personnel who, who really works their hearts out to keep us all safe. I just want to say thank you. So I've got Dr. Jeffrey Smith, my co-host on. And uh, how are you, Jeff? I am exceptionally well, Joseph, and I hope you are also. I am. I'm wonderful. Yes, thank you. So we were talking about um, stress and depression and anxiety, and I'm sure you've had. Well, first of all, Jeffrey Smith is an ex-Marine pilot, fighter pilot, and I'm sure he's had a little bit of that in his time. So, um, so what are you finding that people are talking about Jeff right now when they come in to see you? Jeff has a private practice in Vista, California. Yes, it's interesting. Uh, the practice has really switched from face-to-face -face counseling to doing it either over the phone or using some kind of teleconferencing, which is odd because people really do want to have face-to-face -face interaction. And I think, you know, what people are expressing right now is they miss the people that they used to associate with at work or at the gym or any of the clubs or social activities. It's like there's this mass grieving that's going on of what was. And, of course, nobody really knows what is going to be or how long we will be in this status. So that's a big part of it is just the unknown, the, the fear yes. and the anxiety of the unknown. Exactly. That's, I had a few of those days myself this week. I just... Uh... You know, I'm taking care of my wife who's been ill and I'm, and I'm doing all kinds of things, trying to have a business and trying to do all this stuff. And it's a little stressful. That's why I thought this would be a very appropriate to have, um, Linda, um, coming up next. She's written a book called, um, Quiet, How to Quiet Your Mind. And, uh, she talks about depression and anxiety. And she says that, um, she's one of the people who can, work with you and teach you how to do this without meditation, which is, I'm all for that. Um, and then at the, after that, we have Dr. After that, we have um, Kevin uh, Chin, who is actually a worldwide, um, count, a worldwide speaker, and he's going to be talking about meditation. So we have a great show, Jeff. Absolutely. And the idea of a quiet mind is interesting to me. Because we really have two minds. We have our egoic mind, which is primarily responsible for taking care of us when we're in a crisis. And guess what, folks? That's what's happening. So this, yes. this, this ego that we are created with is very, very good at times when we believe that there are limited resources. And it goes to work and very, very busily decides, well, what should I buy now and what do I need to have extras of? And I really need to pay attention to supply lines to make sure that things are going to be available. And so our ego does a fantastical job of that sort of thinking and processing. Our spirit and our soul, on the other hand, the other part of our mind, the actual much bigger part of our mind, actually knows everything's going to be okay. Everything is always working out for us. This event that's taking place on the planet is divinely inspired. 
It is not a curse. It is not a plague. It is a time for cleaning and healing and reprioritizing. So that's what soul, spirit, mind knows, that vast, deep part of us. And our best consciousness researchers tell us that the division of the mind is, this This will blow you away. If you're listening at all, really pay attention to this part. Only 2 to 5% of our total mind is conscious. And that's the ego part of the mind. So it's just a small part of the mind. But it's what we think about when we're awake when we're processing information, when we're analyzing, when we're thinking about what to do next. That's all ego. So the other part of our mind, subconscious, unconscious part of our mind, the massive 95, 98% of our mind is the part that always was, that it is now, and it always will be. And we don't have to take that into a spiritual or even religious Kind of a mindset, because most of the world recognizes that, that we were somewhere before we came here, we're here now, we will be somewhere when we're no longer here. And so quieting the mind would be getting the ego to quiet down, because soul spirit doesn't need to be quiet. It already knows that things are always working out for me, that God or the great white buffalo or whatever you believe in that's running the universe has a plan and it's not random this is not something that is just a, a magic eight ball and somebody shakes it and like, hey let's see what's going to happen today it's not like that at all all of this is divinely inspired intentional lovingly created but sometimes things get hard here and there's been many 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 hard things that have shown up on the planet before with all kinds of earthquakes and fire and tsunamis and, you know, all the natural, what we call natural disasters. Those are opportunities for us as people to evaluate how we're living our lives and to say, you know what? Maybe going on a cruise ship really isn't that good for the planet. Maybe that is something that we could do without. Maybe, right? And then the next thing that got shut off, the professional sporting events. It's like, huh, if people really love to play sports, Maybe they would be willing to play for $100,000 a year instead of a million dollars a year. And wow, we could take that money and direct it toward health care or education or hunger. Because if, well, there's nothing wrong with playing sports. But do we need to make it that important that we spend that much money toward things that really don't matter? Because moving a ball around on a field really doesn't assist humanity, right? That's really not something that makes the planet better because one team can move a ball a little better than another team. <laughs> so I find it fascinating. You know, that's a whole new show, because let me tell you something. We could start out with the senators who get $100,000 an hour there and don't do anything. So that's another, that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, but I agree with you. Um, I think that I think this whole thing that I, I'm, I am concerned about always is, um, because I do have anxiety. I do, I do have sweats and I do have all the things everybody else has because the unknown is pretty scary. And so how do you fix that? How do you get that quiet? Okay. Well, wh what is actually unknown? That would be my question because people come to the planet. We're born. We grow up. 
we at some point hopefully do this thing called adulting. We become responsible to take care of ourselves. Hopefully, we try to follow most of the laws and the rules. And we get older and we have hard days and good days and we die. That's, that's all known. I mean, there's, that story is the same for all of us. So dealing with the unknown to me usually is about details that really don't matter that much. They just don't. Things that people make so much bigger than they are, like people are afraid to die. And you'll hear later today on this show, Dr. Melvin Morse is an expert at near-death experiences. And all the data that he'll probably get into says dying isn't something to be afraid of. So, man, if we could just start there and have people go to resources that they could familiarize themselves with. You know, you could hear me say it, and maybe that's the first time you might have heard of this or the second or third or whatever, but maybe it's not enough that you could really resonate with that and make that your own truth. But if you want to not be afraid of dying, you're going to have to do some research to really understand that there's plenty of information on the planet that says that the death process is actually glorious and sweet and amazing and we've done it many times before. We actually know how to do it quite well. But we're just telling ourselves through the ego, we don't know how to do that. And we have to be afraid of it. But what if that's not true? What if we actually know how to die quite well? Because we've done it many times before. And we'll probably come back and do it again. So is there really anything to be anxious about? Truly, if you really get into it. And that's what meditation does. gives us the opportunity to say, why am I taking these three or four events in my life? Okay. Kevin. Yes. This is Dr. Jeffrey Smith. Doctor, this is Kevin Chin, who's an international speaker and um, author. And hes I'm so pleased he's joined us. And he's the one that does meditation all over the world. Hello, Kevin. How are you yeah. today? Hey, Dr. Smith, uh, Jeffrey, got to meet you. Good to meet you here. Likewise. We were discussing what anxiety is, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> uh, and certainly there seems to be plenty of that that people can tap into and resonate with if they so choose. And one of the yeah. outcomes of this show today would be that we would talk about ways that people may be able to not choose to resonate in that energy that we call anxiety. So I'd love to hear some thoughts that you have about defining what anxiety is and then coming up with some alternatives or some solutions when people become aware they are anxious of how they can make a sure. state change or an energy change. Sure. So I've been uh, teaching meditation. Well, I've been meditating since I was 19 years old. I've been meditating for 50 years now, and I've been teaching meditation for 47 years worldwide, 41 countries now, and I teach video conference. Uh, on video conference and phone right now worldwide, which is perfect for this COVID-19 pandemic because all my meditation classes have been full because people around the world are obviously anxious, as you say, high anxiety for a lot of reasons, a lot of fear and uh, fear about the uncertainty and so forth. So um, I just literally got off a class right now and have people from across the United States and Europe and Serbia uh, in the class right now. So, um, uh, my, my take on anxiety is, um, I, I work with a lot of clients, uh, even before this COVID-19 issue, um, high anxiety, depression, and so forth. 
Um, and so what I teach is a simple, easy, effortless process that helps balance their cortisol, their lactic acid, and the other uh, 40 to 60 different hormones and chemicals to get out of balance when their fight-or-flight response gets triggered too much. So essentially what I teach is a technique that turns on the opposite of the fight-or-flight response, and then things just start getting balanced neurophysiologically within them. And their thinking and their emotions uh, naturally get balanced as well. Another way of looking at what I teach from a more energetic and a, uh, a mental standpoint is a lot of people incorrectly think that their mind is like limited to this little eight-inch plastic bucket. So I use this analogy that I borrowed from a gra- graduate school pro- uh, psychology professor in the 1970s. And he said, most people incorrectly think their mind is limited to this little eight-inch plastic bucket. And they have about 10 or 15 ping-pong balls bouncing in and out of it. That's their thought. And, and, but really, in reality, the mind is much huge, bigger than that. And you can look at it both in the way that he looks at it from a brain standpoint or in the way I look at it more from a, a mental capacity uh, energetic standpoint. Either way, the analogy works. So if you look at it from a brain, physical brain standpoint, we're only using a very small amount of our brain cells. There's trillions of other brain cells we can activate and use. Or you look at it from a mental, uh, more spiritual, mental, energetic standpoint, we we can expand our conscious capacity of experience way outside the eight-inch plastic bucket. It's still our mind. And that, and that and that melts away our anxiety because we start to realize that our mind is more vast from a direct experience standpoint, not from somebody telling us to change our beliefs about it, but actually directly experiencing it through this technique that I teach. And so right. people just, they just find naturally that their anxiety starts melting away, not because they have to believe that it is or they have to change their thought patterns about it. It just goes away. And then neurochemically, their cortisol level balances and all these other 40 to 60 hormones and chemicals that they're not even aware of balance out. I was a test subject in the very first medical studies done in the United States on meditation in 1971. Um, and it was published in the Journal of American Medical Association and the United States. It was a cover story of Scientific American Magazine in 1972. And they took blood samples. And you can't fool your blood. And your blood samples, the blood sample, you know, it's the cortisol, I can't remember what else, cortisol, lactic acid, whatever else they were measuring, just balanced out. So it's just a a simple technique that tends to balance these things uh, in a in a very easy easy way. So that's my approach towards dealing with anxiety. Ken, you you mentioned a few moments ago that your techniques and teachings help people make the shift from fight or flight to its opposite. I didn't hear right. you say what the opposite was. Do you have a definition or a concept of what I the do. opposite of that is? Yeah, well, I just call it the opposite of the fight or flight because people recognize, most people recognize what the fight or flight is, you know, the survival mode that we all have when we're walking across the street and somebody runs a red light, your fight or flight turns on and your heart races and you run to the curb and your adrenaline pumps and all of that. Well, the opposite of that is, is, is the opposite of that. And, uh, and it's turning on the parasympathetic nervous system is the medical term, as you know, for that. So instead of sympathetic, we're turning on the parasympathetic, and that's what the technique that I teach does in a very easy, automatic way. Right. And so, so all the positive benefits from that just cascade from that right. automatically without having to change 
our behavior, our thinking. Our behavior and our thinking changes because of that. We can have short-term effects of changing things, think more positively. That can have a positive effect, but it's short-term. It's not. It's short-lived. It's not. It's very temporary. And then the person flips back into their their old pattern. So you know, to change patterns long-term, you need to go really to the core of what's going on, and that's both from a mental standpoint, as I said, it's the eight-inch plastic bucket limited experience and or the cortisol levels being way out of whack in the right. uh, neurophysiology. Well, anything that requires a long-term solution is going to require a long-term plan. So meditation can work both for the short-term, but if you practice it, like you said you have since age 19, this becomes a way that you can entrain the mind instead of letting it go on autopilot and becoming anxious. Yeah. Right. I find it interesting. So, before, you. You, before you got on the show, we were talking a little bit about the division of the mind with the conscious mind, subconscious and unconscious mind. And one of the things mm-hmm. I wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to do was to have a concept of what anxiety is. And in the most simple form, it's a belief that I'm not going to get what I need, or what I need won't be made available to me when I need it. And it's just a simple belief system. But the fascinating piece about that to me is it's actually never happened to any of us. If you really want to push this all the way to the very end, the fact that you and I are having this discussion and Joseph is listening, all three of us, anybody that's listening right now, has actually always gotten what they've needed because they're alive and they're breathing and they're listening and they're participating. So for me, what anxiety is, it's the subtle difference between knowing that I've always gotten what I've needed, but I'm not getting what I want. And so for me, when I'm helping people in my practice, it's helping them recognize the difference between a want and a need. And we actually get anxious about not getting our wants because we always get what we need. We always get what we need until the day we die. All of us know that that's going to happen at some point in our journey here. Nobody's ever called me and said, Dr. Smith, somebody told me I'm going to die. I really need to come in and get some counseling for that. And I've never had that call. I never, I never will get that call. But what, what everybody calls about is how am I going to live between today and the end of my life? What is the quality of my life between now and then? And it's really we get our needs met. All of our needs get met. Everybody that's alive and breathing is getting their needs met. Their needs may be very, very minimal. They're, we don't need a house. We need shelter. We don't need a house. So people that are afraid to lose their homes think that their happiness depends upon having a home as opposed to having shelter. And so all of us are going through this process right now where we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But most likely, we will get our needs met, and you can actually take comfort in that. You can be content in knowing, I will get my needs met. I always have. I always will up until the day that I die. Now you can be content. So that would be a a version of mindfulness that you can take into a guided meditation. I'm just curious about your thoughts about using those kinds of concepts as a way for people to understand what anxiety actually is. Well, I think that what you're saying is accurate, and uh, 
I work a lot with psychotherapists who uh, are working with their clients in in the way that you're describing. And in conjunction with that, uh, the, the technique that I teach is not a guided meditation at all. It's a, a technique of turning within and closing with eyes for 10, 15 minutes twice a day. And that's all it takes. And so in conjunction with the changing of one's thought patterns, as you're describing, and beliefs and so forth about the needs and the wants and so forth, which is helpful, um, what I teach cha- literally changes their nerve physiology. It, uh, it changes their blood chemistry. So that, um, that along with your type of work as a therapist, uh, they, they, they support each other. And the right. fact that I've been mentioning 50 years is, is not, um, is not the significant thing. It's just a, a factoid of my, of my experience level. The people I'm teaching have, have had no experience very often with any meditation techniques and their anxiety, uh, levels turn around in a matter of days, sometimes weeks, as, as, and, and it may take as long as months. But like in my class today, for example, I had new people and existing people who I've taught before. The new people in the class, uh, uh, and the older, the existing people are sitting as a refresher, but the new people in the class, uh, were, I just taught them yesterday. First time, first, this is the first of their four day class with me. Yesterday was the first day and they're already reporting that their anxiety levels have gone down. They feel more better. They watch the news. It didn't trigger them like it did. It has been triggering them for the last several months, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the effects are, can be immediate if the technique is easy and effortless. So the key distinction is this, I, I want to say, that is that um, most meditation techniques take waking state rules and apply them in meditation. Focus. Focus on the breath, like in mindfulness. Focus on the breath. Control the mind, clear the mind of thoughts, push the mind out, push thoughts out of the mind, make your mind more peaceful. Trying to make your mind more peaceful will not make your mind more peaceful. It'll make <laughs> your mind think about being peaceful and it'll make your mind more active. It's like trying to say, say to somebody, do not think of the word hippopotamus in the next two seconds. Too late. You've already thought of it. You cannot try not to try. Trying not to try is always trying. So hey, I Kevin? apply. Meditation rules Kevin? in meditation, not waking state rules. Yeah. Hey, Kevin. Yes. Jeff. Yes. I got somebody on hold. Can I? I'd like to have you do a little meditation. Can we? Can you do it after twelve thirty? Well, I I can't. I I don't do the meditations like this, Joseph. Like we said. Well, I mean, I mean, well, I, I, know, I, mean I mean, continue the conversation after twelve thirty. Oh. Yeah, well, I can teach Jeff. a technique that can help you. I want to bring in Linda, who wrote that book. Yeah. She only has about 10 minutes, so if we oh, could just sure. let yeah, her yeah. Come, on, come on, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Linda, are you there? Sure. Yes, I'm here, Joseph. How are you? Hi, Jeff. Thank you. for Hello, thank Linda. You for, um, so, Linda has written a book called Quiet the Mind, and uh, she's the one, you guys, that she's um, done some studies, and she has found some ways to to do to conquer anxiety and depression without meditation, and I really want to hear this. So, oh, wow. um, and you got and you got Kevin on there, Kevin, and also yeah, Dr. Jeffrey Smith. Hi, Kevin. Go ahead, Linda. Nice to meet you all. 
Uh, actually, uh, one of the first uh, proponents of my book is calming the mind. However, people find a way to do that, and I think that everyone should aim for a meditation practice. But, but you know, Jeff and you all know that there are, are many means to calm the mind. Go into that. We also, um, the book is very simple. It boils it down into four brief chapters. One is on calming the mind. The second is on managing our thoughts. The third is on lifestyle practices. And then the fourth goes into natural remedies. So why did I do all this? I I was in a very dark place in my life. Uh, my career had gotten smashed when I went through a number of life tragedies, including, you know, breast cancer and serious depression. And all this time I said, give me something I can do for myself. Give me a handhold and I will pull myself up. You know, I had professional help and so forth, and I was looking for a more natural alternative, but I wanted that sense of purpose, that power, that personal empowerment of being able to do something for myself. And I started this process a long time ago when I was first diagnosed with cancer. I walked out of the medical center very disappointed that you know, I had this canvas bag with a bunch of pink ribbon pins and, and some books, and, and, I, and I looked up at the sky, and this is in Vermont in, in the wintertime, this pale winter sun, and I, there was just this intense knowing that ran through my body that there was a source of core healing and that I could find it. And I was, you know, I stayed ill for a long time before I finally kicked everything into gear, and it was like a it was like a higher presence with its palm in the small of my back, just pointing me from place to place to place to place. And I, I studied, you know, the functioning of the brain and, you know, cognitive thought, neuroplasticity. And then I boiled everything down. And I, I was told in this process that my skill in this lifetime was to make clear what was once muddy. So I've taken everything that I've studied and using myself as the guinea pig in kind of a trial and error. And I've boiled it all down into this this wonderful little mini book. And the mini book itself comes alive uh, every day, on well, Monday through Friday. Uh, on Facebook, I post videos, I post affirmations, I post insights. So it's all a part of an of an interactive piece that's, Education, inspiration, and affirmation. How do we find that, Linda, if if I were to look for it? How do we find that? Well, the book, which is an Amazon bestseller, is uh, on Amazon, of course. My name, uh, the book is called Quiet Mind, How to Create Freedom from Depression and Anxiety. And my name is Linda Dirks, and my last name is spelled D-I-E-R-K-S. You'll find the book on Amazon. Uh, my Facebook page is Linda Dirks, Quiet Mind, and everything is also posted to YouTube and, and, and so forth. I love it. That's what <laughs> people need to do. They need to get something right now. They can tune on their computer or in their phone, and I'm so happy you're doing this. So well, tell, the, me, the, tell me what how this all worked out for you. Well, I've been eight years. I, I over, over, I think 14 or 15 years, I took 12 different drugs 
and I was just fed up with it. And, you know, I, so I was highly motivated to, to pull myself out of this process. And this is, you know, a decade and a half of research and trial and error with my, with me as the guinea pig. Uh, but as I say, I, this is all based on my success and it's all done extremely lighthearted with a very personal touch. I keep saying, come, come with me. I'll show you how. I want to reach out and touch people. And, and it's going to say, you know, with your comment, Joseph, that uh, the beauty of the thing is that it's available immediately. It's free of charge. It's available to anyone with a cell phone, whether they're, they're the military, hospitals, homeless people. Anybody with an Internet connection can plug right into this. The full program began with Quiet Mind on uh, February 17th. So if you scroll back through Facebook, every every week there will be a module of the book that will be backed up I with love it. videos and so forth. So we encourage people to, to jump on board. As I say, you know, come with me. Let me show you how. I could just say no. So, what do you think about that, Kevin? Sounds good. Sounds good. Everything's complimentary, you know. Well, this is a time. This is a time for all of us. You know, we all, you know, all of us that are here as professionals and as light workers, you know, this is something that we said yes to before we came here. So, you know. We show up and we shine our light, and as all of us, you know, come together in this time, people, uh, people, you know, they're emotionally upset. Their their lives have been shaken, and this is our time to come together and say, you know, this is how I can calm your mind. You know, this is how I can re reach out to you. You know, let me reach you, and this is how I can give stability to your life, because we're going to come back to what I call the neutrality of now. We're going to come out of this whole thing. We're going to come into, you know, like a, a point zero field and we're all going to explode in an energy from him, from here as we, as we reach out and grow. There's just enormous potential here for us. But, you know, well, as I say, I try to make everything great. lighthearted and, and, and for us to start, you know, not reacting in fear in the present. My, my guide said to me, it's not about what's now, it's about what's next. I think perspective, I think keeping it lighthearted to some extent is really good and important. Um, I was just interviewed uh, by my uh, law school alumni magazine two days, three days ago, and it was just posted online last night on the Boston College Alumni uh, Law School magazine website. Um, and... I talk about perspective. I talk about a lot of things in it, about uh, the uh, lack of normalcy that's going on in the world right now. But I think maintaining perspective is really important, and I think lightheartedness is part of that, uh, because <clears throat> the world has been through pandemics many times over the millennia. Uh, the smallpox uh, plague in ancient Roman times which, Joseph, as you know, I remember those days. And uh, there, you know, the, the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, the flu epidemics in the early 20th century. And we've been through these types of 
pandemics before. This is not the first time. And we're go- it's going to end, and we'll come out of it, and uh, we hopefully will learn from it, but not everybody will. Uh, hopefully those who are paying attention will, we hope. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I pointed out that in maintaining perspective about the dire situation that people are observing, and their loved ones dying in the world today, that in the Second World War, people forget that's not that long ago, and 70 million people died worldwide in the Second World War. That was 3% yes. of the world's population. In today's yes. numbers, that would be 228 million people today. And look how fast the world rebounded. The human spirit is very strong, and the human spirit has resilience. And look at how fast we re- the world rebounded, not just socially and economically, but anxiety level plummeted you know, very quickly. You know, guys, the, 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 thing that, the thing that I really love about, about the situation, it's certainly sad and people are dying and all this other stuff. But the thing that, that, I, that gets me over this, or gets me through this, is that everybody is so helping everybody else we're in this together and i never thought more practice than i do right now <laughs> i have to tell you that uh last evening uh we had an earthquake here in southern california and within seconds all of my neighbors were out on their front porch saying are you okay there was no damage but uh we, we see these people coming together and i have to echo what uh, what kevin said i, I did a program and part of which was on being grateful for this, and from my little spin straw to gold, uh, lighthearted perspective, we have to be grateful that we're getting off pretty easy. You know, when humanity has needed tweaking in the past, you know, history has served up much, much worse. I mean, the dinosaurs got smacked by an asteroid. Noah's flood saved only eight people. Our ancestors were encased in glaciers, and the Black Plague wiped out 50% of Europe's population. So... You know, it's our time to be grateful. We're getting off pretty darn easy. Amen. And I would like so to... Jeff, is that, I'd like to Jeff, add is in that, that sound all, familiar to you? It does. And all of those things uh, were necessary. They were all divine. They're all part of the big picture. So there really just isn't anything to be anxious and upset about. So it's just part of the story. We're getting to live the story. Yeah, I'm hoping that out of this uh, situation that we're in, yeah, I'm hoping that out of the situation that we're in, uh, that it'll inspire us to be less tribal. Uh, It's something that we as a human race have been dealing with for millions of years, being tribal. And I think this COVID-19 situation reminds us, as you said, that we're all human beings. The virus doesn't care about color, religion, or beliefs. You know, everybody shares the same fears, Thank concerns, so and needs, like Jeff was talking about. Right? It's the great equalizer. So, <laughs> you know, we got Dr. Diane Bryant on right now. Say hello to everybody, Diane. Hi, everybody. Nice to hear you. I've been listening a little Hi, bit Diane. to what's going on. Tell them who you are. Pardon me? I didn't hear you. Tell them how good I am? I think. Uh, well, no, tell them who you are and what you do. 
Oh, okay. I'm a clinical psychologist, <laughs> 35 years in practice, written a couple books, and um, I have developed um, what I call a semi-medical device to handle all these things such as um, uh, anxiety and and the <clears throat> depression that we're having right now. And it, I ran the clinical trials on it. You might be interested to know I had no recidivism out of 280 people. Mm. So that's a, a fairly decent sample of what's going on. Um, and um, I, now I'm, I'm not sure where you are. What do you, Are you talking about anxiety? Yes. Okay. And, and depression, yes. Okay. It's been my finding in, in all of my work that these heavy emotions, depression, anxiety, uh, panic attacks, um, they all, although there's an activating event that makes them occur one day, um, it really is not solved. The problem is not solved until you go back in their history and find out what was the activating event when they were young. Um, I can give you an example that might be clearer to you. I have a soldier that came into my office and he had terrible PTSD about the, the night that they blew up Baghdad and he couldn't stand it anymore. So we did a little work with the, you know, going back in history and to make it a short story, we found out that when he was three, a cousin threw a firecracker at him and he's never forgotten that fear. So when the bombs went off, it emulated what he already had stored irrationally in his in his brain. So what we do uh, in my office is we remove the, the intense negative emotions out of the thinking, and we move the situation from irrational stored memory to long-term rational stored memory. It's quite a process, and it's it certainly has been very successful. Well, there's a lot of people with post-traumatic stress, so Stick around, kid. We're going to talk about this. Well, we'll do it. You name it, we'll be there. That's great. I'm... So, Jeff, what do you think? Well, it's fascinating that you have all these experts on the show today that, uh, as Kevin was talking about, all of the things that we're doing are complementary of one another. Um, one of the things that's so fascinating about being human is that yeah, you can approach it from many different ways, <laughs> a medical model, a spiritual model, a psychosocial model, but all of us are in this together. Um, I would just ask people to consider that this is a big opportunity to take a time out from your regular day life and really reprioritize what's important. Uh, maybe take a look at the list that hospice puts together. Of At the end of life, people say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have worked less. I wish I would have laughed more. I wish I would have danced and sang. Those are things that we can all do now. If you can't go to work, if you can't leave your home, you can sing and dance. You And that's kind of like, you know, maybe somewhat tribal in that it's organic to pre-human history of what people did to be alive. We're really alive right now. We have the chance. Our stories that are happening right now are more entertaining than any of the TV shows. And if you're still, if you're still watching TV, watch your own life. Look at your own life right now. It's more exciting than the TV shows you've been watching. Just watch <laughs> your life. Get off your butt and dance and sing and participate in this. 
and stop going to Costco and filling up your cart with food you don't need and alcohol you don't need <laughs> and sit in front of Netflix for six hours a night. Get Stop that stuff because that's not living. That's just being a zombie. So this well, is it's also perpetuating fear if you, because that's why they're doing it. Yes, absolutely. So and I on love- top of that, this virus doesn't have any gut issues with it. You don't need toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> All you can eat is a throat lozenger and water. <laughs> Wouldn't it be and neat if there were more things that happened that got people to come outside and actually meet their neighbors, like the earthquake that happened? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. No, people don't know their neighbors anymore. We've isolated ourselves so much <clears throat> that we, you know, the internet really, you know, if you have a friend on the internet, that's not really a friend. That's that's. I don't know what that is, but it's not really a friend. Uh, so it's an illusion. So this is really an opportunity for us to say, how did we get here? How did we allow our species to get here? And what are we going to do right now to make it more authentic to where we're living our lives? We're not watching athletes sing and dancers dance. We're singing and dancing. We're getting out on the soccer field and kicking the ball around. If we ever get to go do that stuff again. <laughs> hey, Jeff, this is Linda. You know, I've got a, a few things you know, that I, I might. I saw, uh, I saw a cartoon that made me laugh because it was a guy saying, I'm working from home, and he had three kids tied up and gagged laying <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you a funny story. I went to the restaurant the other night, and I ordered <clears throat> some Italian food to go out. And when he gave me my bag, he said, wait a minute, I got something else for you. And he went to the kitchen, and he brought out a roll of toilet paper in a beautiful cellophane bag with big ribbons on it. And he said, when you need toilet paper, you come back to the toilet, I mean, the Italian kitchen. So it was a pretty good advertising piece, really. <laughs> You know, uh, I saw I saw that on some I don't I don't know where I saw that where somebody acted like it was drug deal and the guy goes you got the money and he and he's all quiet and he said yeah he said he looked around and he gave him a roll of toilet paper it was like <laughs> it was like he was getting a, he was buying drugs it was kind of funny <laughs> well you know what those things are is they're they're false ways of having some sense of security. And so that's, you know, that's what hoarding is. It's uh, like we're, we think that we need to be secure with possessions and physical things. And security is a state that's in your mind. There actually isn't a problem to be upset and excited about. This is life. This is what happens on this planet. Just like Kevin said, there's been many, many historical examples of the population gets to a certain size. And it's showing up in a certain way. And Mother Nature says, no, this is not the way to do it. <laughs> now reorganize yourself. Fix what you're doing. Stop the direction that you're going in and find a new direction that's actually sustainable, that is actually built on love and community. Ah. That's, what we, that's what we need to be doing right now. And, and God has hit the stop button from everything that we were doing, so we now have to look at this. It's perfect. This is a perfect oh, it is. opportunity. Absolutely. It is perfect. I have to agree with you. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, parents are living with their children, eating with them, and attending to their <laughs> affairs 
And this hasn't gone on very much lately, if you remember. Yeah, but I think I think we have to be I, I think we have to be uh, respectful of, however, some of the people who are suffering through this. And there's a lot of people. Oh. I have a lot of clients who are uh, frontline um, healthcare workers, doctors, nurses in New York oh. City right now, and some of them Amen. are sick. And so we need to um, not make light of the situation and not just put this, couch this in religious uh, uh, language, I don't think. I don't think, because I, I work with a lot of people who are uh, very religious, maybe even fundamentalists sometimes, and others who are agnostic and atheists. And everybody is being treated the same way here. And I think we got to be careful about how we language things, because... Um, when you're dealing with somebody who's dying, who's 12 years old, uh, or 20 years old, or 80 years old, it doesn't matter. And this virus doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how healthy you yeah. were. Even they're finding they're finding uh, uh, that patients are dying who have no underlying pre-existing conditions. And so the the uncertainty that's around this is very real. It causes very real anxiety in people, and the um, and the frontline workers are having to deal with this in an exhausted mental emotional state right now, on a on a on a, on a daily basis. And I'm talking with them every day because they're my meditation students. You know. Thank you. Hey, Joseph and Jeff, I've got some notes here, and I would like to hear what what Jeff and Diane might have to say. Uh, what we're calling Humanity 2.0, and I happen to sit in on a forum with. Uh, are you familiar with the with the positive news service called Optimist Daily? Um, they're they're a wonderful service. I recommend everyone to to uh, subscribe. You can get it online. But some of the points that came up in that forum, I'm going to give you maybe half a dozen here. We're going to redefine jobs that we consider important, like farmers. We're going to relook at social equity. We're going to be reassessing what we value. We're going to have a new awareness of poverty because its rate is going to increase dramatically. And I think two others that really need to take top priority are shifting from our, our head to our heart and being, this is my top one, is being less cavalier about our environment. Anybody want to weigh is, in there? Yeah, if we, if we just look at what got shut down. All we have to do is look at what got shut down in the order that it got shut down, and those are our clues of what we don't need to be doing. Uh, and the, the essential businesses that are still running and operating are the things that we need to continue doing. It's really simple, and it's right in front of us. You cannot ignore it. Right, and then not backslide as we build it back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. Uh-uh. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, I'm you guys, on this you one. You guys, if we got... Are you there? We got yes. Doctor Melvin Morris on with us. Hello, Doctor. Hello, Doctor Morris. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. And and introduce yourself to everybody, Doctor. I'm uh, Melvin Morris. Uh, I studied uh, near-death experiences in children. And uh, primarily interested in the spiritual events which happen to us when we die and the implications that that has for uh, living our lives more vibrantly, uh, more fully, 
uh, not be afraid of death. And particularly at times like this where, uh, you know, we're in a, a social crisis, uh, to remember uh, that it's how we treat each other. This is yet another lesson of love is what we learn from the near-death experience. That is what life is all about, learning lessons of love. Absolutely. Dr. Morris, this is uh, Dr. Smith, and it's so good to hear you again. Yeah, and, uh, great to talk to you, Jeffrey. How are you doing? Uh, marvelous. We've been talking about the anxiety that's going around the planet right now, and uh, Kevin was uh, making us mindful of all the first-line responders and people that are really up close and personal and possibly facing death right now. So your addition to our radio show is very timely that uh, it would be awesome to hear what you could share with our listeners of how people can prepare for and confront and process and deal with death, either of themselves or a loved one or somebody, you know, a close friend or relative. Well, you know, it's a sort of a two, uh, it's a, a, I guess a, a double-edged sword maybe, is that death is not to be feared. We know that from those who have died and come back to life, you know, children who've had near-death experiences, uh, they tell us that, uh, well, as one little girl said to me uh, after her near-death experience, she said she wasn't afraid to die. And I, I asked her, well, why not? And she said, well, because I know a little bit more about it. You know, so we know that the dying process is involving this loving light and, you know, learning that this life is about lessons of love. But that still doesn't mean that there's an enormous amount of pain in losing somebody that we love. Uh, you know that it's, so it's, it's, uh, of course there's a lot of anxiety involved with it. Um, and yet well, we know that the dying process is something that's joyous, that's spiritual. Um, we know that the people who have died are often very reluctant to come back to this earth. And um, you know, frequently they come back because they feel that they're time on this earth that they didn't learn everything they had to learn. That's, that's beautiful. Uh, one of the things that I run into all the time is people are afraid that when they lose a family member that they can't communicate or talk to them any longer. And if people yeah. would just be open to the idea that, oh, sure you can. You absolutely can. You just have to learn how to do it in a different way. And then Absolutely. being able to guide them through that process is very comforting, as they now know Absolutely. that it's not really a loss; it's just a different way. That's one of the most impressive things that I've learned from a scientific perspective. You know, as a medical scientist, I've studied these experiences for almost 30 years now, and there simply is no doubt about what you said is true. And the work that you're doing in the office, uh, Dr. Smith, uh, validates that. Uh, but we know from uh, the work uh, that people have done uh, with um, you know, veterans that uh, struggle uh, to understand what happened to them uh, in combat and the loss of their uh, loved ones, uh, we know that studies from the Veterans Administration uh, validate what you've just said, that, we, that it is possible to communicate uh, with those uh, who have passed. They've, they've just there's only one reality, I guess, is what I've learned from uh, the near-death experience. There's one reality, but people live in it in uh, different forms. And right now, this reality, you know, we're, we're spiritual beings in a physical world. 
is the best way to understand it. So we continue to be spiritual beings. And uh, I personally, uh, I'll just share with you, my mom died about three years ago. And she told me that the way that I would know that she was uh, present would be I would find a heads-up dime on the ground. And I can't tell you how many times yeah. that a heads-up dime has come into my life in places that there should be no dimes present, you know, that there's absolutely no way, there's no explanation, no physical explanation for how a dime could be present, you know, at terrible times in my life. Uh, it, suddenly a dime will appear. Well, that's a very, you know, uh, my mom knew that, you know, again, being sort of a skeptical scientist, I would need some sort of tangible proof. But for most people, they just have to trust their intuition to discover that what you just said is true. They have to open them, open up their heart and start to believe what they know is true. You know, it's so often the, you know, they call it the faint ding of angels. So we have to learn to trust that faint ding. I remember you telling me a long time ago that you didn't believe in this. You you asked you asked uh, to be to shown this because you were you you are scientist and you had to taste it, taste it, smell it, and feel it before it was really true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the, you know, I had to do my own studies. I had to. Um, uh, you know, these are patients, my own patients that I resuscitated. Uh, I had to do my own oh, homework, and then I had to go further. I had to start to trust my own intuition, and, uh, you know, science can only take us so far. There is then a point where faith has to well, take us. We have two more minutes left on this program, and I'm so sorry to see it end, because we're going to continue on next Saturday, not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday. I'd love to have you all back, and let's continue this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, just uh, what a pleasure it is to talk with you, Joseph. And uh, uh, I think this is a time where the, the, this message of what we learn, it, it's not about what happens after we die. It's about learning to cope with the anxiety and fears of this life and learning that, you know, this is not our home. This is just a school where we learn lessons of love. And they're painful. They're, I'm not, it's, it's difficult. These are, you know, it's, it's, we often have to suffer to learn these lessons. And yet we know that, that when we die, we're embraced by a loving God that gives us a big hug and, you know, an attaboy or an girl. And, you know, we, we learn that uh, we, we all have that experience when we die. You know, so we're not judged uh, when we die by whether we learned our lessons uh, right or not. So I want to thank every one of you for, for being here. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all your input. And uh, and I, I reason why I wanted to do this show is because of all the people going through anxiety, and we'll continue talking about this um, next a week a week from Saturday at twelve o'clock same time. Thank you, Jeffrey Smith. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Doctor Morris. I'd like to leave a quick final thought with everybody that pain is a great teacher because it forces us to pay attention to exactly what's going on. But pain doesn't have to be the only way that we learn. So if we came here to learn, you can learn it in a painful way, or you can learn it in a non-anxious, open-minded, peaceful, loving way. And that choice is ours. It's a pleasure having you on, Jeffrey. 
Kevin, Linda. Thank you, Dr. everyone. Morris, Thank you. Dr. Lyons, delightful. Bye-bye. Bye now.